Okay, there's a, a book written called None of These Diseases, where the author is talking about a young student uh, who's applying to go to college. And that student uh, is asked this challenging question by the, on the application form. Are you a leader? Well, this student was honest and conscientious, thought about it, and then wrote on the application form, no. And with fear and intrepidation, sent the forms off to college. A little bit later, and very much to her surprise, she got this response. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) I don't know where you are in your journey with the Lord, whether you've been a follower for a long time or a follower very recently or maybe not quite a follower, but our passage certainly does deal with that challenge of following, following Jesus. Let's have some background to this passage. Where is this third appearance? It might seem obvious to us, yes, they went back to Galilee. But it's interesting to think and ponder whereabouts in Galilee it might have been. Where were these fishermen first called from? By the side of the beach. Sorry, by the side of the water. And it's interesting to think that maybe it was the very same place that Jesus had first called them. That would be a beautiful twist to this story. What are they doing back there in Galilee? Yeah, maybe they would have been fearful of those authorities in Jerusalem after seeing what they'd done to the Lord Jesus. Maybe they, emotionally they were hugely drained and exhausted from what had happened. They had families there, sure. They'd been told by Jesus via uh, the women to go back and wait for him there. And yet, you know, they've just had revealed to them the greatest story on earth. And yet, they're fishing. They're fishing. You know, maybe that's a question we need to ask ourselves this morning, right away. When was the last time we told somebody else about the greatest story that's ever happened? When was it? Was it last week? The week before? Maybe we've been too embarrassed, too awkward. Maybe it's been a very, very long time. You know, the impact of all that had happened hadn't manifested itself in their actions, had it? But they go back to doing something which is really familiar to them. You know, when you've had a lot of stress, when you've had a lot of pressure, it's very comforting, isn't it, to go back to the things that are familiar. I've lived in the city, I've lived very close to a beach, and I know which of the two places I would like to go to when I've been stressed and under pressure. You know, at a very practical level, these disciples had to earn a living, didn't they? Peter gets back there and his wife welcomes him at the door. She said, you know, we haven't paid the uh, temple tax for a couple of years. You know, we've got some bills to pay. So Peter and the others go back fishing. 
And we know the story because I've already made mention of it. They fish and they haven't caught anything, nothing at all. And Jesus appears. They don't recognize him at first. It's at least 100 yards uh, in the distance. They've been all night at work. It's not surprising they didn't really see him. And we know from elsewhere at Scripture that um, his appearance was, was kept from them at times. But this voice from the shore calls, put down your net on the other side. So they do, they obey it. And what do we see? We see an absolute abundance of fish. An abundance of fish. God is at work. And he's telling them something through this, isn't he? He's telling them a huge amount. He's telling them, I'm going to provide for you. I provided for you and kept you for those three years that you were walking in my footsteps and following me around. And even though you're not seeing me very regularly, I'm coming, I'm going, the doors are locked and then I appear. I'm on the road to Emmaus and then I'm gone. Even though my appearances and timings will change, I want you to know that I'm going to carry on providing for you. I'm going to carry on providing for you in abundance. They've got problems though, these disciples. They're having to relate to Jesus in a completely new way, aren't they? They've been so intimate with him. Out in the countryside, sleeping out at night together as a group maybe, sharing meals together, some really intimate times. They've been so, so close. And now Jesus is sometimes there, sometimes not there. They're having to readjust. So what happens to Peter during this story, the bit that Lou has just read? I think several of us can relate to Peter at some level or other. He wants Jesus, but he wants Jesus on his own terms. He's also a little headstrong, isn't he? He's prone to action before he's thought things through. We saw that in the running to the tomb with John. John waits outside. It's Peter who rushes in. It's John who goes in. And it's John who understands when he sees the folded grave clothes the significance of all of that. And I think I relate most closely to Peter because he messed up a lot. He didn't get it right first time. He didn't get it right second time. He didn't get it right third time. The biggest mess up that he had was denying the Saviour, wasn't it? Just a few weeks previously, in the courtyard of the high priest. The fire's burning, it's cold, they're gathered round and somebody says, aren't you a Galilean? Weren't you one of his followers? And Peter denies him, not just once, not just twice, but three times. Look at what happens in this story here. They're gathered around a fire again. Little reminders to Peter. Notice that before Jesus can really use Peter for ministry, Peter has to be humbled. It started off in that courtyard after he had denied Jesus three times and the cockerel crows, and Jesus looks across at him. And Peter is a broken man. 
bursts out and weeps in tears. And before he can be used, he has to be humbled. But he has to be restored. And this passage is a beautiful passage, isn't it? Of the restoration of somebody who's messed up big time. Who's denied the Lord Jesus. And we get that public restoration. Because this is happening in front of the other disciples. And Peter says, yes, I really do love you. You know I love you. To the point of being asked so so many times, it's almost hurting him. Yes, Lord, you know, you know I love you. And then Jesus can restore him. Jesus can restore him. Jesus addressed that issue three times. Peter denied him. Three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? And until that is dealt with, Peter can't be used in any other ministry. He's not going to go any further. I have to ask myself, what is there that still needs to be dealt with in my life that is holding me back in, in my service for the Master? What is it that I've said? What is it that I've done? What is it I've forgotten to do? What is it in relationships that way as well as that way that need to be put right? It's good to reflect on these things. But you know, Peter has been called before. Right here on probably this beach, he had been asked to follow Jesus. And there had been that three years of walking with him, the denial, the restoration... And now there's a recommissioning. He's been told, follow me again. Follow me again, Peter. It's okay. You can do it. Follow me again. Hmm. It's really important who we decide to follow or what we decide to follow. Yesterday, taking a group into London, I used sat-nav for the very first time. How many of you use sat-nav? few. Thankfully in the vehicle, I had two experienced travellers to London, and we didn't really need the sat-nav, did we, Jan? No. And we successfully got to Lincoln's Inn where we were parking. Brilliant. But, you know, there are problems with sat-nav. Here's one problem that you might have heard about in January. This Belgian lady uh, got in her car, typed in the coordinates on her sat-nav to go to the airport or a railway station. She was picking up a friend. She got in and she blindly blindly followed the instructions that the sat-nav gave her. And she drove and drove and she filled up the car and she drove and drove, filled up the car. 900 miles later, okay, she's in Croatia. Hmm. Instead of 38 miles, it's a 1,800-mile round trip. And she said, and I quote her, I didn't ask myself any questions. I was just distracted, so I put my foot down. It is important who we put our trust in when we're following, isn't it? And sometimes those electronic boxes can't be relied upon. So what does it mean 
to follow Jesus. Well, I've got some points here, and some of these will be familiar to you. It means we've got to leave some things behind. The disciples, when they were first called, immediately left, left what they were doing, and followed Jesus. Immediately. They left things behind. It's not the first time this happens in Scripture either. Elijah goes and throws his mantle over Elisha. A great act of symbolism there, you are going to be my disciple. And Elisha says, I'm going to follow you. But before he does that, what does Elisha leave behind? Well, he's been there with his family, very wealthy family. When Elijah comes, he's plowing, he's not got one oxen, he's got 12 oxen. But what does Elisha do? He takes hold of the yoke that the oxen have been using and the wooden plow, makes a fire with them, and he slaughters the oxen. And that's just a, an image, it's just, it, isn't it? It's a picture of leaving everything behind before he follows Elijah. And the disciples did the same thing. And we will probably have to do the same thing if we're serious about following Jesus. There are things we're going to leave behind. Of course, we think of family, don't we, if we're being called to follow further afield, onto the mission field, perhaps. But even in our, even if we don't leave Ipswich in our walk with Jesus, there will be elements in our lives that we need to leave behind, that lifestyle, perhaps some commitments that we have to leave behind. Secondly, if we're serious about following Jesus, we're going to need to attach ourselves to him even more than we're doing so at the moment in time. So close to Jesus, so close in our relationship to him, that all other relationships, all other friendships look like hate. That's strong language, but that's what the Bible tells us. That's how closely we're to attach ourselves to him. And to get closer to him, we need to walk in his footsteps. We played that game, haven't you, as a parent on the beach, and the children are walking behind, and they try and walk in your footsteps, and you stretch your pace a bit. I won't do that again. (laughs) You know, we have to get really close to Jesus to follow him, because otherwise we're going to deviate to the left and the right. And the disciples, we're told, we've been told from this pulpit before, they followed so closely that the dust of Jesus would have been on their feet too. How closely are we walking this morning? Not only that, we also have to walk where he walked. And that that walk sometimes takes us into unexpected places that we wouldn't have thought of going that is totally out of our comfort zone, totally out of our experience. Where did Jesus go? Did he mix, spend a lot of his time with the rabbis and other learned people? No. He went into the houses of sinners, into the courtyards of uh, tax collectors. He went where the sick were. He went where the suffering was. He went to the least the last, and the lost. And ultimately, the walk was going to take him on a walk of suffering that would take him to the cross. And if we're serious, 
and we're going to walk where he walked, we might need to walk that same path. As we see later, Peter himself was going to take that path. We're going to take that walk and we're going to count the cost. Peter's got a little insight here onto his future. Where Lou read, I tell you the truth, where you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. It's fairly certain from tradition that Peter himself was going to be crucified. Peter himself was going to go down that same path as our Lord went. There's always a cost involved. And it's important that we realise that that there will be costs. How many of us, young or old, have seen an event, have been inspired by it and thought, I'm going to do that? It might have been the Olympics last year. It might have been Tuesday night here. We've really got fired up for it and we've said, yes, we're going to do that, but we haven't realised the cost involved. How many thousands of youngsters seen the Olympics last summer when the gold medals are placed around people's necks and the, the flags rise behind and the national anthems are played, they go, yes, I want to do that, but they don't realise all the costs that are involved. There are costs. All that training, years, months, Following Jesus also means becoming like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. Because we're asked to walk, not just where he walked, we're asked to walk as he walked. This is where it starts getting difficult. Walking the way the master walks. He never stumbled. He never fell. He never got off course. But we do. So does that mean we have to live the perfect life in order to follow Jesus? Well, that's the goal, even if it's not the reality. Perfection is the goal of all disciples, all who follow him. And if nothing else, this story tells us that when we fail, when we stumble, when we go off the path a little, Jesus is only too eager to restore us and bring us back. We're not going to get it right all the time. But we need to be looking, where are the footprints? Where are the footprints I need to be following so that I can walk in them? Also, following Jesus means we have to be hearing and heeding. What do I mean by that? I mean that we're allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us. You know, somehow we think it was easier for the disciples to follow Jesus, don't we? You know, they only gave up a fishing job and they were there with Jesus 24-7. Sounds quite straightforward. But we're being asked to follow Jesus when we can't see him, when we can't touch him. It's harder for us, isn't it? But you know, that is the whole reason The Lord gave us the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit would 
work in our hearts so that we're more sensitive to the leading that Jesus is giving us, to the places he wants us to go, to the way he wants us to walk. Hearing and heeding. It's the only way we're going to get closer to Jesus is by hearing and heeding. Now this isn't going to be easy, is it? The walk we're called to to take is not going to be easy. There'll be problems. We can all think of them. Challenges along the way. As soon as you commit yourself to following, there will be a challenge to that walk. There'll be apathy. There'll be urgency and uh, a busyness. The fact that we are a minority in this nation is a challenge to us. We work with different values completely to those of the world. These are challenges We confuse our needs with the needs God has. But the passage here deals with getting distracted by others along the way. You know, here's Peter. He's just had his commission, recommission, and he takes his eyes off the ball and he's looking at John who's walking behind. And Jesus has to say, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Don't you worry about John. It's you and me. It's our relationship. It's our walk that is important here. Peter and John are going to take two different paths. Peter's going to be the shepherd. John's going to be the seer. Peter's going to be the preacher. John's going to be the penman. Peter's going to be a foundational witness. John's going to be the faithful writer. Peter's going to die in agony on a cross. John's going to live to a great age and in quiet serenity. Two different paths. But we mustn't preoccupy ourselves with the paths of others. It's our journey that counts. But along that journey, it is in partnership. There are others walking along the road with us. Others who are truly Christ's. Others who are truly and surely commissioned. Others who are deeply loved. Others that are greatly valued as ourselves. Their calling may be different. Their gifts may be different. Their instincts, their convictions in certain matters may be different than our own. But we thank God for them. And we encourage them and we learn from them along the journey. But let's not forget, our focus must remain on Jesus himself. Jesus says, keep following me. Jesus alone is our master. To him we belong. To him we must give account. We are to live looking unto Jesus. Their path is not our path. I'm going to skip that bit. But if you'd like a job description, let me know at the end, and I've got a job description for you. What is Jesus asking us to consider today? Jesus says, follow me 23 times in the Gospels. Does everybody follow him? No. The rich young ruler of Luke 18 is one who heard but didn't follow. We've got to decide to follow Jesus. We've got to decide, despite what our friends are doing, despite what our partners are doing, not because of our parents, but because in our own hearts we have chosen to follow him. 
Is Jesus this morning taking us back to where it all began? Is Jesus asking us for elements in our lives that need to be put right before we can continue that journey with him? Is Jesus asking us again to follow him? You might have seen these posters up. The Suffolk Walking Festival. It starts next week. It starts next week where plenty of people will be challenged and asked to uh, get out and walk the country paths. It's good for your health. It's good for the, the whole range of things. What an initiative. But we've already been asked to walk. We've already been asked to follow. In our following, would people notice whether we're walking in Jesus' footsteps? Would they notice where we're walking and whether we're walking the way he walked, walking the way as he walked? Deep things to ponder over. The word follow in Scripture, in the Greek, it's translated mimics. Be imitators. So if you want to be a follower, let's mimic, let's imitate the one who showed us the perfect way to walk. May God bless his word to us this morning. Amen.